The Lord be with you and also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures We welcome you to this service of worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered this Lord's Day, the second Sunday in Lent, for our gathered community here within Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM and for our internet listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We invite your prayerful and material support, your written, emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership and service and ministry in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. This Lenten season, we journey together in conversation with Henry Nowen. The sermon, Thus This Day, comes to us over the voice of Brother Larry Whitney, our university chaplain for community life, whose own work lies at the intersection of, of psyche and fide, of psychology and religion, faith and tradition, person by person, student by student, conversation by conversation. He enters into those moments where one listens another's soul into life. He brings us the mighty theme, reaching out ad interim. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
we pray. O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways, and bring them again with penitent hearts at steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word, Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Upon the Lord's Day, we pause to receive again a heart of wisdom in challenging hours and days. Wisdom comes to us through voices near and far in religion and in history and in theology. The voice of David DeCosimo of Boston University acknowledging, celebrating the liberal traditions in all the world's traditions, religious and otherwise, including Islam. At Yale University, Professor Timothy Snyder carefully rehearsing the rise of authoritarianism in the 20th century. And of blessed memory, Reinhold Niebuhr of Columbia and Union, who reminded us our capacity for justice makes democracy possible. Our inclination to injustice makes democracy necessary. As the choir guides us, may we center down to receive again a heart of wisdom. Let us pray. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 through 4a. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading Psalm 121 responsively with the antiphon. my eyes to the hills from whence does my help come my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth the Lord will not let your foot be moved the Lord who keeps you will not slumber behold the one who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep the Lord is your keeper the Lord is your shade on your right hand The sun shall not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil and will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. stand as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Glory to you, Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? 
Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except those who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. Let us pray. Sunday's palms are Wednesday's ashes as another Lent begins. Thus we kneel before our Maker in contrition for our sins. We have marred baptismal pledges, in rebellion gone astray. Now, returning, seek forgiveness. Grant us pardon, Lord, this day. We have failed to love our neighbors, their offenses to forgive, have not listened to their troubles, nor have cared just how they live. We are jealous, proud, impatient, loving overmuch our things. May the yielding of our failings be our Lenten offering. We are hasty to judge others, blind to proof of human need, and our lack of understanding demonstrates our inner greed. We have wasted earth's resources, want and suffering we've ignored. Come and cleanse us, then restore us. Make new hearts within us, Lord. Amen. This Lent, as every Lent, and truly all our days, we undertake the work of turning and returning to God. We strive to live our lives reflecting the righteousness God graciously bestows upon us through the sacrifice of God's self in Jesus. For for us, unlike for God, righteous action is never pure or absolute. Rather, our actions are situated, contextual, relational, and so reflected as if through a glass dimly. In this year's cycle of the lectionary, Our gospel readings come primarily from Matthew. 
As we've been exploring over the past couple of months in conversation with Albert Schweitzer and Amos Wilder, the ethic offered, particularly in the Synoptic Gospels, that is, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is an interim ethic, an ethic for a time between times, an ethic for an already-but-not-yet eschatology that eagerly anticipates the imminent return of Jesus. Next week, tomorrow, or perhaps even this very afternoon. Today, however, we interrupt your regularly scheduled Matean programming for a Johannine advertisement. As Dean Hill has so carefully taught us over the past decade of his ministry here at Marsh Chapel, the Gospel of John is situated and contextualized in a community struggling to cope with their disappointment that Jesus had not, and for us indeed has not, returned with anything like the imminent expectations of his earliest followers. And so, here in the third chapter, we find Jesus teaching Nicodemus, who is struggling to understand how to live a spiritual life in the way of Jesus. He desires the kingdom of God, but is desperately confused as to how to get there or even what experiencing the kingdom of God might really mean. Jesus' answers are not terribly clarifying to him, as Nicodemus, in a sense, represents the synoptic expectation of Jesus' imminent return and John's community's disappointment and struggle to adapt to a new reality. Here, then, in John is not the abolishment of the interim, but rather a shift of understanding to a different sort of interim. An interim demarcated not so much temporally as socially. The Johannine community is living in the interim between the synagogue and the church. This is not an interim of time, but an interim of values, of ideas, of policies, of programs. What is needed, then, is not an ethic for preparing for the end times, but rather an ethic, or better yet, a spirituality of resistance to values, ideas, policies and programs that undermine the kingdom of God we are being born into and that is being born in us. You must be born from above. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. We, too, are experiencing life ad interim. We, too, are being afflicted by values, ideas, policies, and programs that undermine the kingdom of God. 
we too urgently need to seek out resources for constructing an ethic and a spirituality of resistance to these demonic afflictions. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where is my help to come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. In this Lenten season, we are invited to consider the wisdom of Henry Nouwen, Roman Catholic priest, pastoral theologian, teacher, pastor, spiritual guide. St. Henry, I have found, provides timely and salient resources for resistance. An ethic and spirituality of resisting by reaching out in a small book by that title. Deeply informed by the pastoral psychology of his day, Nowen invites us to make three spiritual conversions that we might resist in a manner that is effective, sustainable, and lives out the values of the kingdom that we seek to replace the demonic values of the interim moment. First, St. Henry invites us to convert our loneliness to solitude. Loneliness characterizes much of life in the interim, characterized as loneliness is by a sense of anxiety at having been excluded shut out, cut off, denied, rejected, and abandoned. Anxiety leads to frustration, leads to agitation. Loneliness is a state of desperate and yet seemingly unattainable desire for connection. How on earth could we possibly be lonely, surrounded as we are, especially in the city, by so many people? Apparently, the real question is actually, how can we not be lonely? Surgeon General Vivek Murthy regularly points out that the most serious health issue in the United States is neither cancer, nor heart disease, nor obesity, but isolation. The Boston Globe magazine on Friday ran the headline and pushed it to its subscribers by email. The biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity. It's loneliness. Dear friends, loneliness is real, and it is decidedly not all in our heads, but in our hearts, our bodies, our physiology. Converting loneliness to solitude, then, is an urgent public health issue. It entails first a turn inward to recognize that our overwhelming and anxious desire for outward connection is likely rooted in a lack of inward connection among the various parts of ourselves. We, you and I, each and every one of us are not singular selves, 
but a community of selves with various needs, desires, longings, aspirations, loves, fears, apprehensions, insights, and confusions. Solitude, then, is the cultivation of inner relationships among these parts of ourselves. It is a becoming present to ourselves. Solitude generates a calm, centered, quiet, restful way of being in the world by arranging the voices of ourselves into a consonant harmony. Cultivating solitude is not only good for our own health. After all, how could we possibly expect to harmonize our marriages, our families, our friendships, our workplaces, or our communities if we are shouting dissonant juxtapositions of lonely anxiety? Indeed, solitude is the groundwork of resistance, as Nowen points out, by in turn converting fearful reactions into a loving response. Demonic values, demonic ideas, demonic policies, and demonic programs will never be defeated by fear and anger. They can over only be overcome by love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. The love that emerges from solitude is the groundwork of a creative response to the demons of our interim moment. And as Howard Thurman reminds us, meaningful and creative experiences between peoples can be more compelling than all the ideas, concepts, faiths, fears, ideologies, and prejudices that divide them. Second, St. Henry invites us to convert our hostility to hospitality. In a very real sense, the movement from loneliness to solitude is a movement from inner hostility to inner hospitality. And so this second conversion is simply its outward expression. Of course, moving from loneliness to solitude is merely being hospitable to ourselves, Oh, how the shift from inner to outward becomes exponentially more fraught. Even in 1975, Nowen noted that our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude, and to harm. Not only saint, but prophet was Henry. Boston College philosopher Richard Carney is wont to point out that the distance between hostility and hospitality is really quite small, rooted as both words are in the Latin word hostis, Alas, over time, the demonic has driven a wedge between them, 
our growing fearfulness increasingly cutting off any inclination toward the creation of a free and friendly space where we can reach out to strangers and invite them to become our friends. Hostility is rooted not only in fear, but in the need and desire to own and to control. Whereas hospitality finds its grounding and freedom and so in service to the stranger. Like solitude, hospitality is part of the groundwork of resistance. Hospitality, dear friends, is not merely a posture of receptivity toward strangers. Hospitality also involves confrontation. It is not hospitable to welcome a stranger into your house and then to leave Hospitality means welcoming the stranger to freely be themselves in the presence of an other, of difference, of strangeness. Confrontation results from the articulate presence, the presence within boundaries of the host to the guest, by which the host offers her or himself as a point of orientation and a frame of reference. Now, dear friends, it would be easy to think, especially this week, in the wake of a second attempt at an executive order restricting immigration from certain Muslim-majority countries, that all of this talk of hospitality towards strangers should be a guidebook for welcoming refugees and immigrants. Indeed, we have much yet to learn about welcoming those who have been driven from their homes by violence in fear and anguish. We must learn to bless Abram that he may bless us, else we must surely be accursed by God. But do not be fooled. Our need to convert hostility to hospitality is not primarily to the immigrant or to the refugee. It is to each other, to one another, to you and to I, to us here in this place, on this campus, in this city, and across this great nation. Resistance is not hospitality to demonic values, hospitality to demonic ideas, hospitality to demonic policies, and hospitality to demonic programs. Resistance is hospitably receiving Those whose choices, whose decisions, whose actions, whose votes enabled the demonic to take hold, and of confronting them in articulate presence by saying, this is not who we are. Finally, St. Henry invites us to convert our illusion to prayer. Perhaps particularly when suffering from frantic loneliness and fearful hostility, but even regardless, it is easy to become convinced that our value, our worth, is manifest in the things we own, the people we know, the plans we have, and the successes we collect. 
Nowen refers to this misplaced conviction as the illusion of immortality. But we might also think of it as the illusion of materiality, the illusion that the things of this life are somehow directly transferable to eternity. To convert such illusion to prayer is to recognize, to remember, to re-encounter the transcendent source, goal, and ground of our value, of our worth, of our dignity. In Lent, we remember that we are dust, yes, but our dustiness is still in the image and likeness of God. Prayer, then, is the practice of recognition, the practice of remembrance, the practice of encounter with the true source, the true goal, the true ground of our value, and thus our very being. Prayer is the third element of our emerging ethic and spirituality of resistance because prayer is the language of community. Community is what is built when strangers encounter one another hospitably, honoring the harmonious solitude of each constituent member. In order for community to communicate, however, the medium of their communication must transcend any particular communicant. Communication must arise from what a community has in common, namely the source, the goal, and the ground of the value of the communicants individually and together. Resistance is not possible alone. No one person by themselves, lonely, hostile, and suffering under illusion, can make one bit of difference in the face of demonic values, demonic ideas, demonic policies, and demonic programs. Resistance requires community. It requires creativity and partnership. It requires fellowship to sustain it for the long haul. Resistance requires community. Community requires communication. Communication happens in language, and prayer is the language of community. Resistance, then, is impossible without prayer. Dear friends, will you resist with me? This Lent, will you cultivate an ethic, a spirituality of resistance to the demonic values, the demonic ideas, the demonic policies, and the demonic programs of our interim moment? Will you resist by reaching out? Will you reach out to yourselves to nurture and cultivate their disparate voices into a harmonious solitude? Will you reach out to the strangers you encounter and offer them a receptive and confrontational hospitality? 
Will you reach out to God, in whose image and likeness you are, that in community you may find partnership and strength for the journey? In the conclusion to Reaching Out, St. Henry prophetically notes that we are living in this short time, a time indeed full of sadness and sorrow. To live this short time in the spirit of Jesus Christ means to reach out from the midst of our pains and to let them be turned into joy by the love of the one who came within our reach. We do not have to deny or avoid our loneliness, our hostilities and illusions. To the contrary, when we have the courage to let these realities come to our full attention, understand them, and confess them, then they can slowly be converted into solitude, hospitality, and prayer. We are indeed living in this short time, an interim moment full of sadness and sorrow, when values of love, freedom, courage, compassion, and justice have given way to hate, fear, cowardice, anger, and control. Resist! Reach out! Reach out to yourself, reach out to one another, reach out to God. Resist! Resist! Resist the demonic spirit of this interim moment by reaching out and so be born from above that you may see the kingdom of God. Amen.
seated. As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, we invite you to pray in the way that you feel most moved to support the prayers of this community. Stand or kneel at the altar rail, raise your hands in your place, respond in your first language, however you are so moved by the Spirit this morning. I will set the intention and then will say, in your grace, if you would please respond, hear our prayer. Dearly beloved, let us pray together. three, one God in holy community. We who are created in your image are glad and grateful for your presence with us as source of all life and Christ and spirit, for your encouragement by your gifts and fruits in our lives, for your empowerment to grow in love and to choose the good in your grace of invitation and inclusion, we pray. For ourselves, as individuals, and for the communities of which we are a part. For our particular ministries in the world. For our ministry in and through Marsh Chapel and the Office of Religious Life. For the work of all the church. In your grace, Hear our prayer. With and for our cousins and neighbors in faith traditions not our own, and with and for all people of goodwill, for the works of blessing, courage, and peace in and through us all, for the life of the world. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the nations and peoples of the world, for the leaders amongst them, and for the ways of justice and peace amongst us all. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the health of creation, for our earth and air and water, for our companion animals, birds, insects, and plants. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who disagree with us and those who wish us harm, 
and for all those who we ourselves have injured or offended. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those individuals and communities who face particular challenges of mind, body, spirit. In your grace, hear our prayer. For those who have died, for their family and friends, for your will fulfilled in them, and for our sharing with all your saints in the life to come. In your grace, hear our prayer. For the celebrations, milestones, and joys of our human life. In your grace, hear our prayer. In all these things, we pray in trust as you pray with us in your compassion too deep for words. Amen. And continuing in our prayer together, as our Lord Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We welcome you again to the nave of Marsh Chapel on this blustery late winter day. Congratulations, you remembered it was daylight savings time. Whether you are seated here with us at 735 Commonwealth Ave, listening via the radio or internet via WBUR, or later via the podcast, please know that you are a valued member of our community. For those of you who are seated here with us, we ask that you write your name and contact information in the red pads found along the center aisle of each pew. This helps us to get to know you better and you to get to know one another better. We invite all of you who are seated with us to join us after the service for a very special coffee hour, which will be hosted in the narthex. In churchy terms, that's the foyer or the entrance, so right behind you. Um, we have coffee and Girl Scout cookies and very awesome soft pretzels. 
which were so chosen because of their historical significance in the church as a reward for young children learning their prayers. So if you look at a pretzel, it's like crossing your arms over yourself. So we ask you to please stick around after the service and enjoy some of these wonderful snacks and good company. Classes resume tomorrow after the university spring break, which means our normal daily activities will take place here at the chapel. However, with this week's impending storm, we remind our community that the chapel follows all university closures and delay schedules should they be needed. Coming up this week, we have a few notable events. On Saturday, uh, March 18th, during the day from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., we'll be hosting a global meditation retreat here on the lower level of the chapel. As a group, we'll explore different kinds of meditation techniques, such as yoga, labyrinth walking, artistic meditation, and guided meditation. Um, a light lunch will also be served. If you're interested in attending, please see me after the service or send me an email, jchica at bu.edu. On the evening of the 18th, at 8 p.m. here in the nave, the Marsh Chapel Choir will perform one of the great master choral works, Handel's Israel in Egypt. This piece tells the story of the Israelites' departure from Egypt and the song of praise they sing in response. Tickets will be $10 at the door and are free for students with a BU ID. Next Sunday after the service at 12.30 p.m., the Marsh Chapel Women's Forum will be hosted by Dr. Beverly Brown at the Sloan House, which is 135 Ivy Street, which is also the home of the president of the university. Lunch will be provided, and Dr. Brown will give a short talk on a, a book she recently wrote on her family's genealogy. Please RSVP to hfr at bu.edu if you are interested in attending. For all other news and events, we encourage you to check our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as our website, bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. Now, as the ushers wait upon us for our offering, let us remember that it is a gift and a discipline to be a giver.
creator of the universe, we thank you for every gift we can give back into the systems and structures that we exist in. We pray that we never forget our need for those around us and for you. And may we never forget that all our possessions are not solely our own. We pray that these gifts continue our pursuits of being a light in the city, a vessel of love to those in need, and an inclusive spiritual community of grace and meaning. May our gifts be a physical outpouring of love, just like the ministry of the one who exemplified love, grace, and charity in its purest form, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Resist, resist, resist the demonic spirit of this interim moment by reaching out. And so be born from above that you may see the kingdom of God. And may God, who loves us into creativity, freedom, and peace, abide and remain with you now and always. Amen. Amen.